Welcome to the Collecting Confidence Podcast, where we'll explore confidence, what it is, why we need it, how we get it, and how we lose it. I'm John Barrett. Hello and welcome to Collecting Confidence. My name is John Barrett, and today we're going to be talking with Bill Murphy. And before we do that, I just want to share a little story about some of the journey that I've been on over the course of my life. And I started off a long time ago as a camera operator in television. And I hid behind the cameras and I let the bright lights be out in front of me and the microphone be out in front of me. And I didn't worry about having to be in front of the camera. And I was fine with that. It was very comfortable hanging back and not doing anything. But over the course of time, I got a little bit more confident and I got a little bit more skill behind me. I saw how other people did it. I watched, I listened, I learned. And over the course of time, I got to the point where I was actually okay with being on camera. I was a little nervous. I was a little bit not sure if I knew what I was talking about. And then I got into media relations and I really started to study what it was I was talking about. I had to know if I was going to be the spokesperson for the company, I had to know what I was talking about. And I learned and I got more confident. And I was in front of the camera and I made some mistakes and I got more confident. And over time, I think we gained that confidence. That's where collecting confidence really comes from is you don't start by being awesome. You sometimes have to work up to that. And there are areas where we're strong. But for a lot of us, we can't always just focus on the areas where we're strong. We're thrust into areas where we're not strong. We're sitting there minding our own business. And the next thing we know, someone says, hey, can you do this? And we're like, oh, I'm not really good at that. But a lot of people who are really good at something didn't used to be. And I'm sure Michael Jordan missed a few baskets along the way. Martha Stewart probably burned a dessert or something. But they kept at it, and they kept at it. And that tenacity of keeping at it and keeping working towards it, while at the same time not pulling the plug on it, giving yourself that opportunity to try again so many times, we're our own worst enemy. We're our worst critic. We cancel our worth before we even allow ourselves that second chance. I didn't do well the first time. I'm not going to try again. Sometimes that's wise, but a lot of times it just needs a little more time. If you're trying to learn to cook, if it goes wrong once, that doesn't mean stop cooking because you'll have to cook a little bit in your life. You're, you're going to want to eat almost every day. You might as well learn to cook and it might take some time to get good at it. Take that time, work at it, and keep plugging away. And we try to take our successes and say, I'm good at this. And then we look at the other things we're not good at and we say, oh, I'm no good. I'm not worth it. I am not a good person because I'm horrible at all these things. No, that doesn't mean that. Not everybody is good at a lot of things. Some people are okay at a lot of things. But if there's something that you're good at, that's nice because then you can pat yourself in the back and say, yes, this is what it's like to succeed, to do something well. But we just have to keep working, keep trying. And the more things that you do, we've said this before, but the more things that you do, the more skill you'll get, the more confidence you'll get, the more you'll be able to apply that to the next task at hand. And you'll get that confidence of, I don't know what's coming, but pff, I've got so much stuff that I've already done and been able to do okay or well that I know I can handle whatever's next. And so that tenacity of keep going, we're capable of a lot more than we think we are. And we're going to talk with Bill Murphy about that. So hang on and let's gain some confidence. Joining me now is Bill Murphy, and Bill is an author, a businessman, and a fundraiser. Bill, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, John. I'm very excited to be on your show. 
Well, the first question that we always ask everyone is, what does confidence mean to you? Well, <laughs> it means a struggle <laughs> to find it. I, 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 yeah, John, I saw my battle with every day to this day. But what? But a way that I found confidence is because it, because it, and we may get into this because I I I grew up made feel made to feel less than and unworthy. And so that was a real confidence kick in the pants, right? Uh, naturally. So to find confidence, what I had to do was I had to realize that I had to prepare in more hours than it would take, I would say, average people to prepare. Now, I'm going to give you an example. In school, you know, I, I was the guy that said, hey, I studied for six hours and I got an 82 and then you would have five other people say, I didn't even study at all. And I got a hundred or I got even the bonus question. I got a 105. And I was like, oh man, that's just soul crushing. And so I felt like I would always have to prepare to have confidence. Another way to get confidence was I would visualize the success with the end in mind. I would always visualize that. And, and later and later in life and now the way I visualize success where it really where it really helps is I try to incorporate the senses, all five senses to that success. When you visualize it, you know, what are you smelling? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? What are you tasting? Like as much as as much as that of that as you possibly can, because then it feels real. And then kind of even have a celebration with that positive belief and get rid of the worry as fast as you can. So as you're preparing, it's easy to say, you know what, I'm not going to get out of bed this morning because I, I've trained enough. I've done this enough. I've prepared enough. And so you can't, you can't succumb to those feelings that, and I, I, I and we talk about this in the book, it's, it's victim mentality is when you're just going to be like, you know what, my circumstances are defining me right now. So I, I don't need to, to do that. But then what's going to happen is your confidence is, is certainly going to suffer. Confidence is also built with coaching and surrounding yourself with mentors and the right people to lift you up. And, you know, be careful of toxic people when you declare a goal or you declare something you want to do. Oh no, you're crazy, man. You'll, you'll get hurt or that's insane. You can't do that. Or, you, you know, it's going to take you way too long or, you, you know, it's, it's that, that now the doubt, the doubt will, will cripple your confidence. So surround yourself with, you know, your top five, you know, your mentors, your peers, your colleagues, your family, your friends. And, and I don't, they don't mean to do it a lot of times, you know, like my mother's my biggest fan. But she's also, you know, when I'm running a marathon, she thinks I'm going to get hurt every time. <laughs> and so, and she'll tell me that and she loves me. So, you know, you just, mom, okay. Um, I got to go talk to five more people that are going to lift me up because he, I can't have you bringing me down. And she's going to probably listen to your show. So I got to be very careful. I love you. <laughs> I love you, mom. And, and tr train, train for what you want to be, what you want to achieve. All these things will bring confidence, especially when you're stuck, especially when you have self-doubt, especially when you're battling feelings of unworthiness. Um, that's a that's a way that I try to try to gain confidence. Well, and I 
I see that you've run many marathons and I was in cross country for a couple of weeks until I realized it was all just running and I didn't see the point of it, but I'm, now I just do high jump and long jump and that's long distance for me. But I have a friend who does the Ironman and uh, Eric was on our podcast, guest number 14 on our podcast, Eric Strand, and he runs double marathons and things like that. But at one point he had never run a marathon and the same with you. At one point you had never run a marathon. Did you have that imposter syndrome? I, I got a hint of it from reading the book that there was a bit of an imposter syndrome until you finished that first one. Tell me about that experience of finally getting one under your belt and how did that change your outlook on whether or not you were a marathoner? Well, the whole marathon story started with a, a, a yeah, I think we were, it was around the holidays 15 years ago or so. And I think we were drinking beers and saying, we're going to go do the Boston marathon. And I, I was, I was a, a sports enthusiast and, and, I, and I worked out like crazy, but I've never, never run long distances. We all uh, made this pact that this was going to happen and it never did it, for them, but it did for me. And what I held, the way I did it is I ran for charity and I ran for charity because you're not going to get a number in the Boston Marathon unless you qualify or you're running for a charity. So I knew I didn't need to run for a charity. At that time, I think it was 2006 or seven, I, I ran for Boston for Dana-Farber. And that's that was my accountability coach and partner because I had to raise money and I had to do this because I declared it to everybody asked money for. So, you know, as I'm running and hating running and having all kinds of doubts, I'm like, I can't turn back because I've declared it and I'm, ra I'm raising money for this, this cause. And I had to go through an interview process. I, I, w I went through more interviews for the Dana, Dana Farber, uh, as a Dana Farber team member than Google probably has, you know, <laughs> because it, it was so important to them that you were committed because there's a lot of people that, that sign up and they don't commit. And, and that, that to finally get it, I actually asked how how can you accept me because I was a rookie, I didn't have any experience, I didn't have any fundraising experience to that degree at that time. And they said raise your commitment level for your donations or your fundraising level. And I was like, that will get me in. And so that should get you in. And they got me in. So I was interviewed. I think I went through a few interviews, and I had to raise my fundraising commitment level to get in. And then, so there's no turning back, but I did have all kinds of doubts. So what I learned then, and that's what we talked about is I knew I was never, ever going to miss a training session. If whatever the plan called for, I would do it. And sometimes I would do extra. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to get into overtraining because that's a, that's a whole other story for a whole other day. But I would, I would overtrain so I was prepared. And I, I read and did, and I got coaches, and I did everything I possibly could so I could get prepared so I could have that confidence more than I would have if I didn't do any of that. And did you continue to work with the uh, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute? Is that correct? I did. I did one more with Dana-Farber, but I, I've worked so closely since 2006 with Make-A-Wish that make wish didn't even have bibs then. So Dana Faber, we've all had people in our lives that that have lost their bout with cancer, unfortunately, I'm, I'm sure. And so that was that was important to me to run for Dana Faber. And there was a lot of great causes and organizations and charities to run for. But but when Make a Wish was able to get some bibs into the Boston Marathon, I started running for 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 Make a Wish because we do a lot in my business. We give portions of proceeds 
from every loan closing um, to make, which I've been doing that since 2006. Um, and you've raised so, over a half million dollars, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's yep. very impressive. And talk to me a little bit too, because you are an exceptional businessman. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I came from pretty much nothing and I had realized, you know, as I'm, I was always driven and I was always running from my situation with hustle and to show, to show them, show him that I'm worthy, show, show him that I am going to make it, that I matter. So I was running, I was running from, in that situation, in those situations. And when I started to get some success and I realized that I grew up in an environment that was very tight with money. I don't even want to say frugal or thrifty. I want to say cheap. And I was like, man, I think I started to learn about generosity and giving back and making a difference. I, I re remember how, how good it felt to like, even as a young kid, when I had a paper route and my friends at 10 years old didn't have any money and I would, I'd buy them baseball cards or I'd buy them gum or, and I was like, this feels good. You know, this feels this feels good and not buying friendships, but it feels good to be able to do that because it was never done for me. And when I, when I started getting some success in the mortgage and sales sales world, I was like, you know what? I need, I need to hang on to something to, to make a difference here. And that's, you know, the whole make a wish start story started with all the ESPN, you saw all the ESPN stories with the kids uh, meeting their athletes. And I, I just think those were incredible stories and I think at, at that time it was, uh, you know, the, you know, the Patriots, Tom Brady, it was 2006 and it was Teddy Bruschi and it was, it was David Ortiz and, you know, just, just all these incredible athletes just doing these things and putting these smiles on these kids' face. And I was in a conference and they had some Make-Wish stuff there. And then where it really mattered is I started dabbling with the Make-Wish Foundation, but where it really matters when I took my kids down to Disney in like 2006, 2007, and they were real young. And we were hot, hot, hot Disney day in Florida. And I remember all these kids in, in tie-dye shirts and their families and, and whether they were in wheelchairs or crutches or and they were bald or what, whatever. What I remembered was from the kid that was the wish recipient to the families, the smiles from ear to ear on everybody's face was just like, this is what it's about as I'm listening to my kids whine about the long lines and the heat. And I was like, that, this is what, this is how this is, is coming full circle. And because those memories and the, the, the studies on what that kind of stuff does for the kids and the families just will last. It, it's a leg, it's legacy building and lasts for a lifetime. And you alluded to a, a moment ago that you were running from him. And I just want to make sure we plug in who the him is. Oh, my God. You were running from so for your father and from that experience that childhood experience now you have overcome a lot of different adversities and if i could just point out that at one point you ran the marathon on crutches i i didn't want to leave the marathon and not talk about the adversity of that well okay <laughs> that's building build, that's uh when you when you you're you're jumping on your way down to build confidence on that one when you declare that you're going to do a marathon on crutches so what happened was I was actually training. It was during COVID. I was training for the Boston Marathon. And I would love to tell some sexy story that I was hang gliding or, or rock climbing or anything. But I was actually walking down my, my stairs, out of my bedroom, down my stairs at 5 o'clock in the morning to go for a run. We're 60 days out from the marathon. 
And I, I think I was texting my daughter. Uh, she, was, she was getting some dental work. Or something. It was like five in the morning. I was just texting. I was walking and texting and not paying attention, walking down my stairs. I missed the two bottom stairs, jammed my left leg into the into the floor, and the the, the red uh, the white hot seething pain just shot through the left side of my body, and I dr it dropped me to the floor in agony. And I tried to get up several times. I looked down. There's this big bulge at the top of my thigh. I thought my my bone was protruding, but it was actually squishy. So what ended up happening was I detached my quadricep from my knee. It rolled right up. Don't wish it upon anybody. Don't try this at home because it is incredibly painful. And I had surgery the next day. And I, I got all these incredible uh, supporter, supportive emails and texts from family, friends, colleagues. Make a wish. Sends an email saying, hey, Phil, really sorry what happened. You know, we're going to reach out to the BAA, Boston Athletic Association. We're going to get your bib and registration transferred to next year. Don't worry about it. If you want to still do it next year, you can't. I said, no, 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 no. Hold on. Let's let's think this through. I think I was still on pain meds, but let's think this through. I think I could either, I could do it somehow, some way. Yes, I can't run it, but maybe I could limp it, crutch it, whatever. I would never want to go in a wheelchair because I, I feel like that would be disrespectful um, because I'm, I wasn't wheelchair bound. So I wouldn't want to do that. So, uh, I said, okay, let's do this. Let's run it. Up. Like we make wishes very well connected. Let's run it up the pole and see what we can get. And got a firm, hard, no, 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 no. Due to liability reasons. And of course I understood that. And so, okay, well, let's do it virtually because they were allowing virtual runs for the Boston marathon because of COVID never done been done before. And we found my alma mater. Which is State University, and we um, we were able to get the track around the football field for the actually date of the virtual run. It happened to be open. Everything was serendipitous. It all lined up. The stars aligned with this one. And I here's the thing: is we talk about confidence. I had confidence I was going to do okay on that marathon on crutches, eight or nine hours, because of the preparation, the grueling painful prep that I put in. Now here I am going around this track and all these people saying, your underarms must be killing you. Your, your hands must be blistered and all this stuff. And it was like, no, that happened. That happened 60 days ago because the chafing and the bloody armpits and the blistered hands from the crutches was from the, from the hours every single day of two, three, four, five hours every day on those crutches, crutching around the pool with my, with my dog. Yeah, boring and arduous and painful, but but everybody kept asking me. Said you have nothing to prove. Why are you doing this? And I and I said, listen, these kids, they don't have a choice with their critical illness diagnosis. So why don't if they're gonna fight, why don't I fight? And guess what the silver lining. So there's a silver lining in adversity. The silver lining here was I raised five to six more times than I ever would have raised. This is what I know of. The news coverage that brought awareness to Make-A-Wish Central Mass was incredible. People, our, our um, supporters and our um, Make-A-Wish liaisons and reps said money was flooding in when those when the news stories um, showed. And, and it, it wasn't, it was indirectly because of what happened. And I will, I, I, will, I will tell this about how your mind works and how people are contagious with their rising you up or bringing you down. I had a Make-A-Wish recipient 
walk with me or she actually half jogged with me the last three miles she beat pancreatitis sweetest girl she was entering high school and she was so enthusiastic she was so appreciative and thankful for what i was doing on crutches for make a wish and bring awareness and she's actually an ambassador in her high school so cool and she was saying i can't believe you're doing this this is so cool you're awesome and this i was like no no no, you're awesome and where's going where does where does rolling now all the people that were doing 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 the marathon stuff with me had stopped so i just had it was just me and bethany make wish recipient and we're just going and i finished this marathon in six hours and 17 minutes on crutches and the the CEO maker said, "Hey, I think you just unofficially have a Guinness record, and and I and it was it, it, we're not going there, but it, but so when I checked my time the next day or the, whatever it was, my last three miles with Bethany were my fastest three on crutches when I should have been exhausted, when I should have been crawling across that across that finish line. She just picked me up, and we." I felt like I didn't do the last three because I was I was just moving on moving on air in clouds. I was just coasting. It's mm-hmm. a great example of surrounding yourself with people who lift you up rather than pull you down. That is yeah. fantastic. I do want to touch on your Krav Maga because I don't know anybody who's a black belt in that. And as I understand it, that was for the Israeli defenses, and it's kind of a let's get this over with quickly, uh, self defense sort yeah. of a thing. Is that yeah. how did you get into that? Wow. Um, I read a book and I've always been interested in martial arts. I always had to do something sports related. So I played park seat football till I was I was 40. Like I just had to do something to hang with the kids, right? And then and then as my son, when I started coaching my son and, and then I coached him in football till he's in high school, and I was like, all right, we had five and I was doing the marathons and all sorts of stuff. I was like, all right, we have we have to do I have to do something now. So I, I started I read this book called Unbeatable Mind by Mark Devine, really great book. And he actually talked about Krav Maga. And I had, I had a, um, a there was a Krav Maga down the street from, uh, um, from my house. And I was like, you know what, I got to try this. And I tried it and I just fell in love with it. And I love, and it, I loved everything about it, you know, and it is really quick, but here's what I'll say about Krav. Um, and I don't, I didn't, I don't know a lot about the other martial arts other than what I've read and, taking a class here and there. So I, I can't speak to that. But what I'll say about Krav is a combination of everything. It's a combination of jujitsu. It's a combination of boxing. It's a combination of Kempo and, and Taekwondo and karate and all this other stuff, right? It's it's so practical that we could do a, a self-defense seminar and somebody will walk away just like I, you know, get out of a chokehold or or get out of a a, a situation where you know somebody may put their hands on you real quick and practical easy stuff and it's not you know like god love jiu-jitsu but you have you go to the ground and learn to grapple i mean this is practical if you go to the ground that's another story but let's get you on keep you on your feet so you don't go to the ground and get the hell out of there as fast as you can so yeah that's probably god i'm still still practicing well, and then at some point you decided that you hadn't written a book. And so you had to write a book. So tell me about uh, both the process and the reason behind the book. The book was interesting how that started. So I, I, when I would do my runs, I would get so high on dopamine and endorphins and adrenaline and everything else that I would just have all these incredible ideas, whether it was business related, mindset related, sports related whatever it was it would just i get flooded with ideas and i would re- record all my ideas like whether it was my phone or i'd write them down and and i got to that process 
So in, in 2019, when I did the marathon, the re weather was crazy. I know you're in Minnesota, so I I'll be careful because you got snow and we were 60 degrees today. But the weather was, it was a April day. It's always the same time. It's, it's uh, Patriots Day in Boston, right? So it was an April New England day. It started out rainy at 40 degrees. It, the, I think the temperature hit 70 and sunny. And then by the time I finished, I think it was back down into 40s, raining and windy, windy sideways, all this other stuff. And so I, I prepared running, but I didn't prepare my fuel for the, for the climate issues that I had. So the fuel was I didn't take in enough carbohydrates. I didn't take in enough electrolytes. I cramped up like crazy. And mile 15, I did, I did a run walk. I was so upset with myself for not preparing. I went in overconfident. So I was like, I was thinking to myself on that run. I was like, I may not, I'm going to crawl across this finish line at 26.2 miles on a marathon. How do people do Ironmans? Like those people are freaks of nature, 2.4 mile swim and 112 mile bike. Like how can they do that? And then the marathon on top of it. And whether, Weather is not forgiving either on an Ironman. And it's not going to, you know, the sun gods aren't going to open up the sky for you and just give you the most perfect day. It doesn't work that way um, when it comes to Ironman, an Ironman. And so I, I decided right then and there, I was going to do an Ironman that year. And I started Googling it and, and Ironmans take about one to two years to train. And so I finally found, everyone told me no. And this is talking about people lift you up. I finally found a coach that told me yes. So I decided to do an Ironman um, that same year in 2019, and I didn't swim. For, I haven't swam in 30 years, and I didn't even have a bike. So I lied to my coach to finally to get her to accept me. Again, um, an application process. So I've been interviewed interviewed quite a few times. The anxiety I almost quit, but I declared it, so I wouldn't quit. Um, to my kids, I told my kids I was going to do this. I wasn't. I, I mean, I fell over on my when I clipped into the bike for the first time in front of the bike shop when they were fitting me. Very embarrassing. Uh, wanted wanted to quit. So I do this, I get down to Florida, there's a Florida in Panama City. I get down there. I'm you we talked about imposter syndrome. We talked about confidence. I get down there, there's 33, 30, a little over 3,000 athletes. I'm looking around, I was like, do I even freaking belong here? Like, look at these athletes, look at their bikes and look at their gear and look at like they're using terms about heart rate that I had to I had to look up on my phone. And and some of the some of the fuel they're taking in, I had to look up on my phone and I had to call people, I had to call coaches, I had to call like I didn't understand anything. I was like, oh my god, I'm so over my head here. And then I had to bring it back. And I said, I said, you know what? We're all human, and we and I trained, and I didn't miss one training day, and I gave it my all every single training day. Again, this goes back to the confidence that brought a little bit of confidence back to me enough where I can just say, let's do this. And there's no quit, right? So, so you're not allowed to quit. You may fail, but you're not allowed to quit, right? So that's kind of the mental resiliency and toughness that you need to hang in the game, but prepare enough. So you're confident. So you won't quit. Right. So, so I finished that Ironman and I was like, we are all way more capable than we think we are because I, I struggled six months earlier on a marathon that I was, was wondering if I was going to finish, how the hell could I ever do an Ironman? And I was just like, we're way more than we were more capable. So I started going back to my notes and I was like, all right, we're going to do this book, man. It's going to be all about we're way more than way more capable than we think we are. But then pan the pandemic hit while I was writing it and I'm looking around and my work colleagues and 
my friends and my my own kids were in high school and college. They missed out on some of those incredible formative years there. And and I was like, my daughter, she was a social butterfly and just like the most popular girl. She was like really, really down about not being connected. And I was like, oh no, we need to shift our mindsets here. Like we need to do something to cultivate that thriving mindset because we all have a choice to stay down and let these circumstances define us or we can lift up and be the example. And that's the thriving mindset. So that's how we got thriving in the storm. So it was the components were on the book. We're way more than we're way more capable than we think we are. But then it's the mindsets when we're vic- when we're in victim mindset, you know, we have low levels of emotions and we we all experience it. And but COVID was really the identifier. And that's that's depression, sadness, hopelessness, powerlessness, frustration, fear, right? So you're not doing anything. You rip, you're pulling those covers over your head. You're not getting out of bed because those things are defining you. Or you could survive. You'd be like, all right, I'll go through the motions and I'll get through the day. And you ask me how I am. And I say, I'm surviving and I'm getting by. And I just I'm I'm on coast mode. I'm not trying to improve, but I'm just try, just not trying to stay. In, in the lowest level of emotions where I'm just, maybe I'm part of COVID-15 and I put on 15 pounds because I'm watching Game of Thrones, Netflix, binge watching or whatever I'm doing, or I can go make a difference. And I could, I could have that thriving mindset and be like, you know what, we're going to have Zoom calls. We're going to have, we're going to have, we're going to put things together where we can, you know, so some of the things that we did during that time is like, I got together with the people that wanted to thrive and you know what, hey, let's go to the nurses. And I, and I connected with um, some nutrition shops and we we got smoothies like once a week and we'd bring them to some of the hospitals for the nurses that, during COVID. And, you know, we'd have Zoom calls about like, what can people do to cultivate that target mindset? And we were like, I had like fitness people on and, and we had doctors on about how to approach COVID when some of the things were unknown back then, way before vaccines and all that stuff. So, so like we started to do some things to just see what we can do to just make a difference, make an impact and thrive when every, when the chips are down. So that's how the book came about. And in the book, you talk a little bit about some of the things that you went through, some of the adversity and things like that, and being able to change that mindset. And I do think that that is a huge thing, just being able to go to approach something from the, I can't do it to maybe I can do it. Let me give it a try. And I know when we were kids, we used to take apart appliances, usually ones that had already been broken, but we would take apart a toaster just to see what was in it. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Now, when something around the house breaks, I'm confident enough that I can either fix it or that I can rebuy a new one. But a lot of people approach stuff with, I can't touch that. I can't do that. I don't, I don't know how to do that. And they don't try. Talk a little bit about that, about the importance of trying stuff. Cause I know you love to try new stuff and I know you love to complete new things that you try. What do people need to do to change that mindset? Man, see, that's a great question. Well, they need to change their mindset and try things. I'm not handy and I don't do handy things. And I, and and here's the thing, I'm okay with it because if you're, you're taking apart appliances because they're already broken. I would have tried to take apart the toaster that was plugged in because that's, that was the thing. Why I hated fixing things and repairing things. That was a punishment for me all the time with my father. I used to get anxiety when I would go shopping during the holidays for my kids and it said assembly required. I'll be like, no, no, no. We need a kid in the back. I'll pay him the 10 bucks to fix this stuff for me because I'm not going to stress on on Christmas Eve. Okay. That was huge for me. So if you're okay, not being 
having a strength in some area for whatever reason. Use your strengths somewhere else. So we started this talking about confidence. And I always felt like I didn't have any super strengths. Like you, you had your super strengths. You, you know, you were an actor and you, you had, you played sports in college and, you know, you had some stuff. And I, I felt like I had to work so hard. And I didn't have natural super strengths. And a coach said to me probably 15 years ago, said, Bill, yes, you're not, you're not academically gifted. You're not athletically gifted. You're not this, you're not. He's like 99% of the people aren't. He said, but this is where your core genius is. And this is the first time I heard core genius. You have more mental resilience and toughness and perseverance and desire to get things done that you will always outwork others that are more talented than you. So that that's when I finally realized that I was okay, not trying things not trying things where I didn't want to excel because there's enough things where I want to try that I do want to excel. And again, it, it's not about, it's not about failing because we all fail and that's how we learn. It's about not quitting. So if there's some strengths and some things you want to try, try it and don't worry about, you get gain more lessons along that um, attempt and failing than you would if you didn't try. I, I don't want to disagree with you. I, I wanted to make your point um, that it's okay to not try things where you, you're going to have anxiety about. But if you want but if I wanted to get good at taking apart that toaster, then I would, I would try to do that. I, I, and learn how to unplug it first. And, you know, so you're going to, you're going to try what you want to try. Yeah. Don't try. So this goes back to goals, right? How many of us, have been told what we should have for goals. And that's not going to align with your core genius, your unique value proposition, or your strengths. Because your mom and dad were doctors. I've, I've heard this story. Mom and dad were doctors, and they want you to be a doctor. Yeah, you're a good doctor, but you, but you may not like being a doctor. You're a way better attorney, or you're a better athlete, or you're a better you know, actor, or whatever else you want to do. Make sure they're your goals. You have your own permission to go try the things that you want to try that you're good at. Yeah. There's a lot of that pleasing the teachers or the parents or the whomever is in your inner circle that you want to please. And it's like, Oh, they all expect me to do this. So I better do it rather than this is what I really want to do. The book, how has it been accepted? How have people liked it and have your kids read it? They've, they say, dad, we've heard about it and we know your story. That's what I get. And I said, okay, then give me a review. <laughs> nice. You know, it's very interesting. So here's a couple of things that have happened. So I was very, very vulnerable in the book. And, and honestly, I, I told you that if, if I said I was depressed as a kid, I knew I probably would have had to fight five of my friends because I would have been seen as soft. So that was, that was the stigma, right? And I'll tell you some of the toughest dudes that I've grown up with, or some of the, a lot of people that I know are tough that I may not even really know very well. The folks that have reached out to me and be like, dude, I had no idea, but thank you for sharing because I went through some similar stuff and I had some similar adversity and I was afraid to talk about it. I actually had a guy who was a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and he was, he was a, a sales coach, very successful. And he reached out to me and I, the only reason I knew him is because I saw him, he was always, pro, he performed at Toastmasters and I always wanted to learn to be a better speaker. He reached out to me after he read the book and said, oh man, I got, I got to clean some stuff up. And he, he actually 
you know, I went to an intensive down in Arizona. He asked me about the intensive and ended up going down there. And I was like, wow, I would have never expected that. But so now I have the guys, right? And, and it's so important because men, and this is a stat that just gets glossed over. Men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women. And why is that? Women express themselves and they get help. Men, no, 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 no. You don't talk about that. No, no. You, hey, old school beatdowns, that's fine. Old school ridicule, shaming, whatever. It wasn't called that. It, it was called, you, you know, you get what you deserve. And so that needs to come to light because it's a problem in society with men that appear on their social medias to have this perfect life. And then they go and do this horrific stuff either to themselves or somebody else. And you're like, what happened? And so here's the other piece of this. I've had, I've done a few talks at some events and I had some women come up to me and say, thank you so much. Now I know what my husband went through. And now I know why my husband was this way because he had the worst childhood or he had, he had gone through this um, situation growing up and now I understand. And so it's actually helped them. And I've heard, I've heard some follow-up it's helped them in their relationships kind of bring some stuff to the surface, which was kind of cool that, that it had that impact. And I never thought that in, in a million years, I just thought, Hey, if I can just help somebody and help somebody, you know, do some of these principles to get better in life and kind of achieve some of their goals and, and make, make peace with their past. then so be it, then, then I'm kind of doing my thing that I need to do to, you know, make this world a little bit better than if I didn't do it. It's really an amazing book. It's called Thriving in the Storm, Nine Principles to Help You Overcome Any Adversity. And I did not have, I don't think, an abusive upbringing. And so to me, it was really eye-opening. Wow, people out there are dealing with a lot of different stuff. And I think that's an important thing. People are wired differently, that whole Myers-Briggs or DISC assessment or whatever, just understanding that we're not all the same and we don't all react the same way to the same impetus. It's It's something that comes to life really quickly in the book. And you just go, wow, you know, you did not have the same upbringing that I had. Uh, have you had other people though can't come forward and say, that's exactly what happened to me? Yeah. More of that than people saying they didn't have, have it, have a bad upbringing. But of course, of course there is. So here's the thing. It's so, it's so interesting. I won't say funny. It's interesting that you say that, John, because my beat down shaming and ridicule I knew I had it worse than my friends, but I said, and even till two years ago, three years ago, I said, it's, it's normal. It's normal, right? That's, these, that's normal. And so it, it wasn't until I was 48 years old and I started to look at some of the stuff that would be considered in, in all seriousness, a war crime in some instances um, with the abuse. And I was like, mm, maybe that's not normal. <laughs> um, maybe you're not supposed to do that you know, put somebody underwater or harness them, you know? And so, but if I didn't realize what, where I open, where the eye opener was is if you told me that your kid or your nephew or your grandson or whatever was put through a wall and knocked unconscious and then had as a punishment for breaking the wall, had to patch it up at eight or nine years old, I would be, I would be jaw dropping emotionally watery eyes. Right. And I would tell the story, be like, yeah, that's what happened. That's why I hate fixing things. Because I had to patch that damn wall. I'm not even kidding. I actually told the story that way. I hate fixing things because that happened. 
not what happened. It was because it was because I had to fix it. But then I realized you, the empathy and the self-love is so important to unpack in, to unpack some unfinished business so you can progress and create that thriving mindset. But it's also important to make peace with your past and be able to love yourself. And so, and forgive yourself and forgive others if you can do it. No, no ill will. You can't root for bad karma on anybody. <laughs> At the time, you didn't know any different. That was who you were surrounded with. And a lot of times the parents end up being the mentor. But now you're older, you've seen some different stuff. Have you surrounded yourself with a mentor or people that can support you and lift you up? Always. I always believe in being coached in all aspects of where you want to improve. Whether it's you're, you're training for that marathon or you're that Ironman or you're in doing personal uh, private sessions in a, in a martial art or you're getting business coach or sales coach, life coach, whatever. I believe in always having people um, mentor or coach you, but also finding finding those people that you can be lifted up, whether it's those family members and those friends and those colleagues or associates or people in your community that you can relate to and whatever, whatever you're seeking is super, super important. And it's, it's all there. You can get your top five pretty easily and you can actually ask them to hold you accountable. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad that that's working out. And I'm also, I'm glad that you wrote this book. It's available at Amazon and let's see how people want to get a hold of you. How would they connect with you or contact you or follow you? Sure. Um, I'm on all socials. So the, the, Easiest way to get there would be thrivinginthestorm.com. Um, we have a, a blog and um, some, we have some of the journal exercises that are in the book and that website and they can reach me there too. All right, Thriving in the Storm. And before we go, do you have a final tip that you could give to the listeners to help them either gain or maintain their confidence? Yeah, I would just go back to make sure if you're lacking confidence in an area that you identify it and create that plan and make it as foolproof as you can, knowing that you're going to fail and you will, you will build that confidence. Repetition will build that muscle for you of confidence. So just, just hang in there, no matter how much doubt creeps in, knock it off, knock that doubt right off your shoulder. When you hear that, that devil and whispering in your ear that you're not good enough, you're not worthy. What are you doing? You're wasting time. Take that to the curb and just continue on that course that you create. So create that course to build that, the course for yourself to build that map for your confidence. Thank you. Yes. And you're definitely good enough and thriving in the storm is definitely good enough. People should pick that up. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, John. All right. Good luck with everything. We'll see you. Thank you. Our tip of the day is we're way more capable than we think we are. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can get more information about confidence and check out the merchandise store on the website at collectingconfidence.com. If you like what you heard, subscribe and pass the link along to a friend who needs to collect confidence. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It's one of the only ways to know if I'm doing a good job. Another way to let me know is to go to the support page. Consider making a small monthly pledge. A pledge as small as the cost of a cup of coffee each month goes a long way to keep the episodes and the information coming your way. The last way to let me know what you think is to drop by our Facebook page or send me an email at john at collectingconfidence.com. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to help you. Now let's go collect confidence.